Welcome to the Soul Center Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Master Healer Ariella Halevi and Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi, Rabbi B, your healer and guide on the journey of life. In this podcast, we will explore all things spirituality, meaning, and healing, from Kabbalah and the healing of your soul to shamanic energy work and the healing of your past, from ancient wisdom traditions to guide your spirit to modern tools to live your life. The Soul Center Podcast will empower you on your journey to heal yourself, discover your soul purpose, and live a soul-centered life. And now, on to the podcast. Brene Brown says, everyone has a story or a struggle that will break your heart. And if we're really paying attention, most people have a story that will bring us to our knees. Being numb, restless, lethargic, empty, angry, exhausted, being shameful, hiding behind our pain, perhaps mental illness, fear, depression, dispirited and confusion. These are only a tiny selection of the total possible feelings we carry when we disconnect from our souls that vital spark of life within us. But how do we reach this point of total disconnection from life? There are so many answers, but essentially it's this. There's a thin veil between our conscious self and our souls that over time thickens until we forget that a deeper part of us ever existed to begin with. In experiencing this, we forget about the treasures and the gifts and our purpose that are really deep inside of us that want to come out. To escape what I call this dark night of the soul, which we all have in some ways, we will resort to nearly any tactic to avoid that pain that we feel underneath. We'll change ourselves to feel more acceptable. We'll betray our values for comfort. We'll hurt others before they hurt us. And we'll numb ourselves through various addictions, possibly. These are only a few ways that we try to to run Um, But ultimately, we have to face the reality that we have lost pieces of our soul. So we're going to talk a lot about that, but what that means. But just remember that every single day, we are all carrying around a heavy cloud with us. And then often we can't pinpoint what, what is the source of our suffering? Why is there a vague backdrop of pain in our lives that feels so persistent, yet almost subtle? The answer is this, it's that the persistent emptiness, that dissatisfaction and loneliness and disassociation we carry around is a sign of what we call soul loss. And in this podcast, we're going to talk to my dear friend, Nikki Doherty. She is not only a friend, she is what I consider a soul sister and also honestly, my personal hero. Nikki is going to tell her story of I guess you would say mental illness, but what I call is awakening. And it's more than that. She's going to inspire you with her story to teach you how to take back pieces of your soul that you may have lost and how to be authentically you to feel your pain and listen to the messages of your own heart. So let's talk a little bit about Nikki before we dive in and get to know her. Um, She is the co-founder of Nurture, which is a beautiful, beautiful center in in Denver, Colorado. 
Um, Nurture is a community-based well care marketplace focused on self-care for everyone. With over 60 vetted independent beauty, wellness, fitness, cafe, and retail businesses, Nurture provides a place for all of our community members to meet all of their self-care needs under one roof. Nurture values collaboration, community, quality, and compassion, and offers a safe place for all to feel supported and valued. And so welcome, my friend. It's good to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. I'm honored. Great, great. So Nikki and I are used to talking like at any time, at any moment, you know, about everything. And so now we're kind of on the podcast. So it's, um, we're just going to take our usual talks and we're just going to move it onto the podcast today. (laughs) Um, So maybe we can start with, um, if you feel comfortable sharing just kind of who you are. I mean, I said who you are, what you do for work, but maybe you could explain just kind of who you are and a little bit about your story and what you've gone through to bring you to this moment today. Okay. Well, I think one of the things I would say who I am is I am me um, for the first time in my whole life or since I was very young. Um, I'm a mom and a wife and a serial entrepreneur and a physical therapist and a healer and a friend and a lot of different things. And um, I've had a crazy story. I don't know how to say it otherwise um, over the years. Um, I have bipolar. I am not bipolar, but um, I think that dictated and governed a lot of my life. Um, and so far as my addiction has been success, um, which mania can bring, um, when I was, you know, a child, it was very much reinforced that success was the only route to love and being loved and, um, the only way to have value. Um, and because I grew up in the situation I did with a, with another family member, um, that sounded the safest way to live and to go through the world. So, you know, I've had some really cool experiences. I was an officer in the army. I have a lot of advanced (laughs) education, which (laughs) people are like, that's amazing. I'm like, no, that's probably not very healthy behavior. Um, You know, I have a lifelong drive for, you know, taking care of other people. Um, And now I'm getting a new relationship with that is in terms of like healthy healing and sharing versus and reciprocal behaviors like we have versus, you know, just sort of giving just to please, just to still, to stay alive. Um, I had uh, a significant amount of child abuse, still exploring and figuring that out. But my abuser um, was quite manipulative, was also my mother's abuser you know, I believe. And in where I grew up and the way our family was, is everything was really hush hush. Um, and if you had money, which is ridiculous, like, especially you covered up because God forbid anybody would see anything as anything else, um, which we're on a some spectrum there, but it was definitive. Um, the mindset, um, you know, my grandmother, you know, I can't even, you know, she would lock me in a basement or threaten me with a knife or 
I think some sexual abuse happened. I'm still trying to get there, but I think so. Um, Ariel and I did some work recently and it kind of helped me start to open that and explore that. And, you know, for me, with success and friendships and all the other stuff, I really stamped down anything that had happened and ignored it if I thought of it um, and would have imagery or sort of visuals almost, but I would just be like, oh, that's in your mind. Um, a lot of the time when I was little, it was I was reinforced oh, it's just in your head and why be such a drama queen? So that was like, you know, the story that I kind of came into my adult life with. Um, and so I protected myself. I carried what, you know, my therapist and I call like a coat of armor so that I couldn't get hurt. Um, I numbed myself that way. I protected myself. Um, I only, I would take anything because I could. But what that meant was significant detriment of myself, my soul. I, I lost myself so much. I lost my voice. Um, a couple of years ago, three years ago, I still didn't know I had bipolar and I had a manic break in Mexico <laughs> and ran around Mexico, probably in a very unsafe way. I don't remember at least two and a half days. I don't remember. And some will call that a psychotic break. And I couldn't believe it when I came back and talked to a therapist and psychiatrist that I had bipolar, like that scared the shit out of me mm -hmm. because some sort of social, you know, story, um, when it protected me and helped me not die when I was little. So, you know, if you think about it and reframe it, it's like, well, yeah, it, in the end, it didn't serve, but it definitely served in some ways. Um, more recently, I, because Nurture, we were opening our company and just, I was ignoring, I was not sleeping. Like it was just, my needs went away. I forgot, which is easy to do sometimes when the external world knocks on your door constantly. Um, but I had a second suicidal break, um, about five months ago. And what that looked like was then I went into inpatient, um, hospital care, and then went into outpatient therapy for about eight weeks where that was super intensive. Um, and the best part about that was I finally was able to take steps back far enough away from like the chaos to finally recognize that like I needed to live life in a different way and create boundaries and just love myself, which I don't really know how to do. I'm still learning every day. So that's upsetting, but it's real. Um, and, you know, I'm on a totally different like place journey, whatever, however we want to talk it. I'm kind of now living, I think my soul truth and, surrounding myself and really attracting the people that really see me and accept me for who I am, not what I am. Mm -hmm. So yeah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's a story. Um, but it's not a story. It's, it's, it's not, you know, I can, I know our listeners can't see your face. They can hear your voice and I don't know if they can hear it in your voice, but I, I know you and I can also see you cause we're doing video it's not a story. It's, it's, 
it's part of who you are and it's not, and it doesn't define you. Like you said, I, I am not bipolar. I have it. And there's so many questions that I have, but thoughts that I have. And first of all, thank you for being um, brave enough to tell this piece of your life and what's happened to you. Because I think so many people, they think that the word mental illness means that they're, that it's, it's a stigma, you know, nobody wants a mental illness. Um, and nobody wants an illness. Nobody wants bad things or difficult things or challenges to happen to them, but life does happen as we've seen in a pandemic, you know, life happens, whether we want it to or not. And the question is, how do we get through it? So I guess my next question is um, two things. The first one, and then I'll ask my next one. The first one is you said that you've had to really figure out how to surround yourself with people that see you and, and get you now. So how has that changed your life? Like you, it sounds like you've had to create some boundaries so you could, so you can have the space to create what's important in your life and be seen and heard. What has that been like for you? It's been uncomfortable, at least it was initially. And now it's just necessary, you know, like if something doesn't feel good in the past, I would never say something ever say something. And a few, a few times now out of this whole five month scenario, like I've said something and I'm going through a period of time that we talked about where there's some anger. And I think that little girl, that child is angry about what happened. And so when I say anger, that sounds so abysmal. I guess, I guess there's just this feeling it's, it's fire. And I've never really carried that fire or known it. Um, And that is helping me drive like, you know what? Like that didn't feel good or I'm uncomfortable. And then saying something. And I almost feel naturally like I'm vocal about what's going on with me because I think it can help other people. And I think secondary to that is, you know, you just certain people are like, peace out, I'm done, you know, which I've experienced. And then most people that are the right people have come or gotten closer in my life. And what we talked about a few weeks ago or last week, the other piece is like, I have to keep that bubble small. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people in the city, but I don't, I, I only want and need a small amount of people that I love and trust. You were calling me the mayor. And I was like, yeah, because I had armor on. Like, I right. anything. But now I don't have the desire. I don't like to go out as much or, you know, I like to just, I'm appreciating just the simplicity. Absolutely. I think that one of the things that, you know, I do in my practice, my healing practice and, and us talking together you know, you, you mentioned anger and that's like an uncomfortable or new feeling for you. And I think what happens is that when we are not taught to express ourselves or when we're taught to actually push those things down, like a lot of people talk about like, you know, oh, my family just pushes things under the rug. Well, that rug is our bodies. And pretty soon that container gets so filled with all the things that we're not dealing with, we break. And And so you're, what you're 
I, what I'm hearing you say is like your, your anger is like this new, it's like a new feeling that's coming up. And it's been in that container that swept under the rug is like that anger at not being heard or not being seen or being forced to live in a way that you didn't choose to. And I would say just, just to that, just sorry to interrupt you. I think that all of my life I have, and this might resonate to somebody. um, I never thought I deserved to be angry because my opinion wasn't valuable enough. Right. So that, that in and of itself, even if you didn't have all the abuse that you went through, just not being able to even feel worthy enough to feel anger or to feel your emotions is a disassociation. You know, we think of mental illness in some ways, it's like people have said, it's like, it's a, it's a disassociation from from who you are underneath that. And I, I would add that anger or a strong emotion is also a form of disassociation. When you're not allowed or given permission to feel that fully, we go away. So we, we learn as children, these things are off limits. So let's pull those away and stick them in a suitcase. And that's, so that's my next question is, you were taught these certain things that you weren't allowed to feel. You were also in a, in an unsafe situation. Do you think that, and I don't know the answer to this. Do you think that your like bipolar was acquired because you had to compartmentalize and, and pieces of your brain had to take over? Or do you think it was something that was already planted perhaps genetic or both? I think both for sure. I mean, I know, I don't know what diagnosis it is, it is um, but my grandmother definitely, I, I think sociopathic, maybe bipolar with some of that tendency. So definitely it's just so interesting because I, you know, I think a lot of the genetics came from her, but then, you know, the, the nurture is a lot from her too. You know, my family and my parents were always gone. So, you know, they went to their houses and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, I was with this woman until I could make my own decisions about leaving um, for the weekend. And so I think, I definitely think it was both. I don't know, you know, I'm not gonna say names, but I think I have a family member who is also so bipolar. Um, I also think I have a family member who's probably has some challenges with OCD. Um, and another family member that was probably had some narcissistic tendencies. And, it, you know, am I going to put them in buckets? Pro- I don't need to. I think the tendencies are probably enough to say. Um, and yeah, I mean, we know it's genetic in terms of, you know, research and clinical studies. Like we know that there's a component of that and to your point, absolutely, it helped me dissociate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it was either that or commit suicide. And I tried once when I was little, it was unsuccessful. And so, you know, then I think that put the armor up even more because I had no choice. I had one or the other, to die or to live safely. Right, right. Yeah, so it's a, 
because some people ask like, did, you know, is it your, is it genetic? Is it your situation? And I agree. It's sometimes it's just both. And it's kind of sitting there dormant until a trauma happens. And then it kicks in as a way of protection, as a way of like what I, I think that maybe you can attest to this in some ways, if you've learned this, it often seems that our bodies or our brain are hurting us. But in a lot of ways, what I find working with clients and then my, in my own life is that those things that we consider bad, quote unquote, they're actually way, they're actually the way in which our body is trying to protect us. So often we think with an illness or a mental illness or physical illness that our body's against us, our body's fighting us. And the truth is I flip it on its head and say, you know, actually your body loves you deeply and has just, this is the only way your body knew what to do. It just had to go into protective mode. Do you find, did you find that? hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, you know, if the abuse, the abuse started before I really knew what abuse was. Right. And so I think originally I have very small snippets of memory, but which I totally dissociated from because it was so gross, but um, I was really sweet. I can remember this like sweet, gentle child, which is like who I really am and where I'm going back to. But I mean, that child was going to get eaten alive. I probably would have been killed, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think, you know, there was no other way. There was no other way. There were only two, two, two solutions, I think. I agree. Totally. I, and so what you said is like who you really are is like this sweet, gentle, loving child. And, and that's kind of like the idea of soul fragmentation. And in this healing world, we talk a lot about like pieces of your soul have to kind of just split off a little bit. Not, not the essence of who you are, but in order for your body to protect itself, your soul gets kind of lost in the whole thing in order to get survive. You know, you were in, that's, we all do this in trauma and yours was extreme. And so what you said is like, who I really am is this sweet, gentle girl. And I think that it sounds like the journey you're on, maybe you can attest to it, like is reclaiming that little girl who had to protect herself so daily. She forgot who she was. Yeah. I mean, I'm softening a lot and that's, you know, it's comfortable because it, I just, it's just natural. I'm not really forcing that issue. It's just happening. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely made adjustments. Like I have been out of clinical care for years and I've jumped back into it because it's, it's loving and healing and softening. Um, I've reduced the work hours that I do. I just, I can't, if I do too much, I fall on my face. I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I would never have given myself that space. I'm really enjoying the kids more. I, you know, I get to pick them up, drop them off. My husband, and I share now, and you and I talked about that. It's such, it sounds rudimentary, but it is so important to me. Mm-hmm. It's to connected. be blessed. Yeah. And then, you know, my daughter and I are going to go away tomorrow mm-hmm. um, and have a couple days just us. Um, go to the beach and relish that water and sand. And so 
you know, I would have been like, what else do I have to do? Do I need to bring my computer? I'm like, no, mm-mm. no. So those are the softenings. I mean, I, I see that I'm changing, evolving, I guess mm-hmm. is a better word. Mm-hmm. How, how would you say you handle now? I mean, you've had a, a lot of therapy and, and healing. How do you handle your bad days and the pain and the memories that come up and the triggers? Honestly, right now, I work with you guys, my, my loves and my care team, but I also just, it's such a physical response. Like we talked about earlier before we started, um, I get super dizzy and so nauseous and I feel like somebody hit me in the face, just so tired. And so I don't have any choices. Like I need to take a rest day and change things around. I don't have a choice, which you know, before I never even thought of doing something like that. So yeah, I mean, I really have to give into it. Right. Right. Do you find that that's, is that the, um, the effects of the medication or would you say like emotionally, if you're triggered by something that happens in your life or a memory or something, does that make you also tired or is it, is it emotionally difficult as well? Like how do you handle it emotionally? Yeah. I mean, I would say all of that is emotional, right? Like I've given a lot of energy and that's a ton and I have to rest. Um, I think I see, this is very personal, but I'll see a knife to the corner of my eye. I can see a knife and some light glinting off the knife. Um, and when that happens, that's a, you know, one of my PTSD triggers. It, it is, it kind of just levels me. Yeah. Um, cry a lot, which is good. Um, I could cry at any moment right now, mm-hmm. um, but that's never been. So yeah, I mean, I think, and then I, Mark and I, my husband, and I've been talking about it. Like I've been having some gut issues. Um, and I think it's probably a PTSD trigger. Ugh, some of the stuff when I grew up with all that gut stuff um, with my grandmother, I, there's a connection there. Mm-hmm. So when that stuff happens, like I'm done. I got out of it. I left a meeting two day, a couple days ago because um, I got triggered um, by another human that was reminded me um, of the past. And I just was like, I've got to go. Mm-hmm. And that was all. It's so interesting. I mean, basically what you're saying is when it's, it's what I tell people when they are in deep grief, right? When you're in that first year of grief, you have to pull over to the side of the road to cry. You do it. You let the grief lead you and you don't determine what the grief is supposed to look like. And I think it's a blueprint. I mean, yes. Do we want to function? Of course we do, but there are so many times, especially with the chaos of life right now, I think that it's a, a blueprint for living is to, if we really gave ourselves permission to listen to the whisperings of our soul and our body, we would have to stop a lot more than we do. We would have to go to bed earlier. We would have to, we'd have to eat differently. We'd have to express ourselves differently. It's almost like you said, like, I don't have a choice when that happens, I don't have a choice. Like, I think in general, this is a podcast today. Like this conversation is so important because it's telling, it's teaching all of us that there is really no choice 
you, I mean, there is a choice, but when you choose yourself, you might have to go pull over on the side of the road or you might have to leave the meeting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and then, you know, a lot of the tools, I did a lot of um, co- cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, and my therapist now is amazing. And, you know, we talk a lot about strategy too. Like, I know I get really tired and two days is like a max. And so Wednesdays are my days to to do the things that feel good and are joy driven like this, right? So I don't work on Wednesday ever. That's my cope ahead strategy. And if I know I'm going to go into a meeting or I know meetings are not such a big deal, but if there is someone that makes me super uncomfortable, um, you know, again, I cope ahead. I protect myself where I'm like, this is the worst case scenario. This may happen. It may not but you need to be ready for it. So if it does, um, you can know your strategy. What are you going to do? And those things really help too, in terms of like, I don't know how to do it. I, I don't know. I think a lot of people, we don't know how to do it. We have never done it, right? Mm-hmm. We've just done what we're supposed to do. So learning that stuff has also helped a lot because, you know, even if I have a vision from trauma, I will tell myself literally, that is not real. You are loved and you are safe. And that is not real. And I have a mantra because again, like you said, we give ourselves that grace. We sometimes just have to pull a car over. And at the same time, that grace may also look like, how do I handle it when I can't switch it up? Cause yeah. sometimes you can't. So some of those things have really been valuable to me and I'll continue to learn, but really help really help. Of course, mindfulness and other things, but like when it's in the immediate, I think it's important to have strategies like that too. I agree. I agree. I think it's really, I think what you're saying is like, we're all going to be triggered like this. This is what, that's what life is for to help you grow and help you learn. I mean, or else we wouldn't be here. You know, we'd be done learning the lessons. So you're here to learn those triggers. And then I like what you said, cope would you say cope ahead? Yeah. Cope ahead strategies. I love it. Like, okay. It's, it's an radical form of self-care. Like if Wednesdays are my day and then I'm going to have to have serious boundaries to block off that entire day to just do the things that bring me joy and just do those things that make me rest. And really what you're saying is you don't, we don't have to have a breakdown. Although a lot of us do in order to radically take care of ourselves. And I think this conversation today has been like this message of, we are going to have our stuff. We're going to have memories. We're going to have, we all have wounds. We all have traumas. It's how we deal with them. You know, you, you chose to stay here. You chose to be here every day that you get up is a choice to be here. And number one, I'm grateful for that because you're a beautiful human. (laughs) Number two, there's, you have a deeper soul purpose. Like you said, you're connecting to that little girl inside of you and that is who she is. And that's a beautiful thing. So I guess for my last question, it would be, because I always ask this question, what makes you feel joyful? Like what, what makes you feel soul centered? I mean, first I have to say this little aside, um, 
<clears throat> when you nearly die, you have a chance. You have another chance. And so not that, but the opportunity to like really be light and be that little girl that has changed everything. And that's, that's joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I have a lot of things that I love. I've done a, that has been one thing I've continued to do in honor. Um, I love to run and be outside and ski and be with my kids. I mean, water is huge and snow and the mountains are huge. Nature is a huge respite um, and healthy, beautiful food and my family and friends. Like I'm, I'm very blessed with things that are available to create and bring joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I am writing, writing a book and writing and getting it out is really beautiful because it's another way to heal. So, you know, I think I'm lucky that I have a lot of forms that just feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to do them more because I, it felt like being lazy in the past to do them unless I was running really fast. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. what you've taught us is like, do those, you know, what works. We have the strategies, we have the feel good stuff. We know what brings us joy. So now we have to do it. Like now we have to get busy living and that is, that is the key is to take away the things that don't mean anything to you, be real, be authentic and, and, and live, live with joy and carve it out, put it in your schedule to make that time for yourself. Oh yeah. And not don't step away from that. Right. It's easy to get caught back up. I felt that a couple of weeks ago and I was like, like breaks on Mm -hmm. hold up. Um, yeah. I, and I think that's what I like to use the word when I did my Ted talk, it was a word I really like is to infuse your life with joy. Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you. Well, I could go on and on, um, because that's what we do, but I, I just want to thank you for being here today and your honesty and which is what I always love. Um, is infectious and it makes me want to be a better person and it makes me want to live more authentically and real. And so I know that this book that you have coming out eventually will be huge because it's an inspiration because you're really, your life is an inspiration. So, um, is there a way, is there a website that you want to give us? Um, I don't know if you want to give us nurture or your other website that where we can find you. Yeah, I'd say, um, www www.visitnurture.com is a great way to check out um, the space. And we have an amazing array of independent providers supporting each other and the community. And I'm really proud to be a part of it because, you know, it's a place that people can go and actually feel safe to take care of themselves a little bit. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for sharing, Nikki. Thanks. Thanks. So thank you all for listening today. And if you like what you heard and you want to share this, please, please actually today, because I feel like the podcast is so important, share this with somebody who is struggling, share this. So they know that they're not alone. 
Um, you can reach out to us on all the social media outlets and also visit our website at www.mysoulcenter.org. And um, starting in November on Mondays, I am starting a healing circle that you are all invited to. If you're ready for a different way to heal and you want to explore deeper, deeper parts of your soul, and you would like to connect with your spirit, with the spirit and ancestors and loved ones, then this circle is for you. This is a complimentary healing circle. Why? Because we need it because more and more we need to be gathered in a group with the same intention to share love, to go deeper and to live with that joy that Nikki was talking about. So join us. Um, you can check that out and you can also email me at info at my Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Namaste. You've been listening to the Soul Center Podcast with your hosts, Ariella and Baruch Halevi. If you'd like to learn more about Soul Center, please visit mysoulcenter.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at mysoulcenter. And if you found meaning and inspiration in this podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you to connect with you. So please reach out to us. And until then, we wish you shalom, salam, namaste, and peace.